Well, hey everyone, it's Cameron. Um, one of the things that I think is fun about being a new church is we get to sort of stop and pause and explain why it is that we do certain things that we do. Uh, we have one of those opportunities this morning as we get to hear from a different voice, the voice of Ian Cornell uh, preaching this morning. Ian has been around Door of Hope for years. He's previously been in ministry with Skate Church and he is part of Door of Hope Northeast now. But the reason I even mention this is to lay out a value that we have here at, here at Northeast, which is, uh, one, we, we believe that, that the elders uh, of a local church are responsible uh, for guiding, protecting, even in most cases, delivering uh, the teaching and doctrine of a local church. Uh, but we also believe that any local church will likely be blessed with a variety of other people who are gifted by the Spirit in all kinds of ways, including to teach, to preach, uh, and to share in other ways with the community. Um, we also think that the New Testament models that it's important for us to hear uh, from a variety uh, and a diversity of voices, like, like the early church was in the habit of doing. Um, so, and this is all for, this is for at least three reasons. I'll give you three, there's more, but here's three. Number one, that we wouldn't grow dependent uh, on the voice of, of any one individual, namely me as your lead pastor. I want you to like my preaching. I hope that it's beneficial, um, but I would it would be a tragedy if, if any of us got to the place where we could only hear from one voice without rolling our eyes at the others or being disappointed um, or being conditioned to only receive truth from that one voice. Number two, that, that we'd have the benefit of learning the truths of the scriptures uh, from more perspectives. Um, it, it's a positive benefit to get to hear the truth proclaimed through the lens and through the experience of other people, experience that I don't have, uh, who can bring fresh insight to the scriptures as we listen. And then number three, uh, that we would be in the habit of giving opportunities to other men and women who are developing gifts in teaching uh, the scriptures so that they can grow, so that they can see those gifts or those gifts blossom into maturity. Um, so you can expect uh, that the majority of our teaching is going to come from our pastors slash elders, uh, but you can also expect us as your elders to make room to hear occasionally uh, from, from other trustworthy voices, uh, the voices of both men and women, uh, voices from both inside and outside the Door of Hope Northeast community. We think that's good and important. Um, so this isn't the only time we will remind you of this, uh, but I wanted to specifically as we get ready to hear Ian preach First John to us. Um, as a side note, Ian wasn't able to get the video working, and so, uh, but we, we do have audio. So if you're listening on the podcast, it's business as usual. If you're watching our full video service right now, um, there will be a conspicuous, a conspicuous absence of video uh, for the remainder here. <laughs> but I think we'll be able to make do. So either way, I am excited to be able to turn it over to Ian. Um, here we go. Hey, friends and family, Dora Hope. My name is Ian Cornell. Uh, some of you know me, and some of you, maybe the majority of you, do not know me, and that's okay. I, uh, I'm just a guy who goes to Dora Hope, and I've teamed up with Cameron and Josh to help in the work of getting these messages out every week. Um, from the book of First John, and it's a privilege to be here, and uh, I'm happy to happy to lend a hand with this effort, even if it's COVID style, preaching a sermon in the basement, um, speaking into a recording device. It's very strange, but we adapt or we die, right? 
So we'll just dive right into it. I've been given 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. And what's happening in these verses is is really a continuation of, of what's kind of been a, a common theme throughout the the entire epistle. John is distinguishing light from dark, truth from error, authentic from inauthentic, claims of faith and 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 choices and lifestyles. Um, and one example from earlier in 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 the epistle is if we if we say that we have fellowship with with God while we're walking in darkness, we're lying. Those two things can't be simultaneously true. And so we are liars and the truth is not in us. We cannot be one thing or claim to be, we cannot claim to be one thing um, when the evidence of our life is, is speaking to the polar opposite of that. And it's very black and white. That's very clear. That's, that's very precise. John isn't, isn't budging on any of these points. He's not messing around. He's not being ambiguous. Um, and that, that, the, those, those bold, clear statements uh, are continued right into chapter 4. And he's drawing a line. He, he's drawing another very clear line of distinction here. And he says, on one side of this line is the Spirit of, is the Spirit of God. And on the other side of this line is the spirit of the Antichrist. Or as he says it in, in verse 6, he says, this is the spirit of truth and this is the spirit of error. And, and here's how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And the, the, the content of, of this testing, of this distinguishing between the spirit of God and the spirit of Antichrist in these verses is the person of Jesus Christ. What do we claim about Jesus Christ? What do we confess about Jesus Christ? And what John says in verse 2 is that every spirit that confesses that Jesus, has, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And John is giving us an imperative. He's telling us to test the spirits. He's saying, pay attention. Listen to what it is that people say. Listen to what it is that preachers preach and teachers teach. Pay attention and don't be gullible and don't fall for something that might sound good, but is in fact false. And it's no, it's no, sec- it's, it's no surprise really that this is uh, something that John is, is warning us to be paying attention to because we're told in scripture that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light and that his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. And Jesus, when he was in the tem- when he was in his time of temptation in the desert, was attacked by Satan and Satan used scripture. Whenever Satan came up to Eve in the garden back in the book, in the book of Genesis, he, he, he came at her with the with the words that that God said, but he kind of twisted them. He said, "Did did God really say that? Is that really what was what was in it?" And it was slowly twisted until it became a complete denial of what God said. And the devil said, "No, God doesn't actually want you to eat this fruit because then he'll know. Then he knows that he's that you're going to be like him." And he attacked God's character, but it was subtle and it was slow. And the things that are that are flagrantly obvious and grotesque and, and, and of the devil are, are not things that people who are, who are seeking out a, a relationship 
with Jesus Christ a, a continued um, growth in their spiritual walk and a continued sanctification. The, people are going to avoid the, the the teachings and the doctrines that are that are flagrantly amiss um, and are and are are grossly um, divergent from Scripture. But the things that are more subtle, the things that look a little bit more safe, are more dangerous because. The false teaching can be let in by our minds without us even knowing that it's happening. And so John is, is saying, don't be gullible. Don't just swallow any pill that someone gives you because it's, it's done in the name of Jesus. Because the devil is crafty. And the, the criteria here is, is, is the person of Jesus Christ. It's a Christological test. What do we say about Jesus? What do we confess about Jesus? We confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Not that he was some uh, simple prophet who came from God um, and that he wasn't actually God or that he was some natural born man who the Spirit descended upon at his baptism and then the Holy Spirit left before his crucifixion. Or that he was just pretending to be a human being, that God came to earth and was just masquerading as 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 being one that was that was in flesh and blood. But this is that Jesus Christ is actually God incarnate, come in the flesh, born of a woman, conceived of the Holy Spirit, authentically. That he was the eternal Son, always with the Father, and that he condescended, came to earth in authentic human flesh, that he was authentically a human being and simultaneously was God. And it's mysterious, and there's only so much of that that we can really wrap our minds around, and we have to take it on faith that it is biblical, it is true doctrine, it is orthodox, and we hold to it with tenacity. We don't budge on this point. Jesus was God in the flesh. He lived a real human life. He was born under the law, and he lived a perfect human life. He lived the life that human beings were meant to live. And the reason why this is an important piece of doctrine to hold on to is because if Jesus wasn't authentically human, then his death and his resurrection and his perfect life were not, sub- were not a proper substitute for human beings. He lived a perfect life under the law. He died as payment for our mutiny, as payment for our sins. Blood had to be shed. And his resurrection three days later was proof that he was who he said he was, and it was proof that his, that his death satisfied the wrath of God and that we who put our faith in him are now given his righteousness as if it were our own. And then we are seen as righteous as Jesus and we can enter the kingdom of God for all of eternity upon our death or when God comes back for his saints. And none of that would have been possible if Jesus was not an authentic human being. So we hold to that. We don't let that go. We don't mess around with it. We don't let anybody poke holes in it. Or we can let them try. But we have to be ready to defend this piece of doctrine. Jesus Christ was God who came in the flesh. If, some, if someone is saying that, that is evidence. That, is, that shows that they are speaking from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will affirm that. And so that is the that is the 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 testing that we need to be able to um, 
that we need to be able to engage in. We need to be able to test that whenever somebody is speaking, when somebody is teaching, uh, in conversations that we're having with individuals. We need to be able, we need to be listening for that because there's a lot of false ideas and philosophies and teachings about who Jesus is. And there's people that authentically think that they are saved and going to heaven, but they've got the wrong idea about Jesus. And we need to lovingly correct those people. And this sort of moves me into another point that I wanted to draw attention to. So we confess that Jesus is is, is, is God come in the flesh. We confess that, 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 that this is true and, and, and we don't back down from it. But what does it mean to really confess? And this is, a, this is an interesting question where I, I could spend a lot of time talking about this. And it's something that I'm, I'm quite passionate about because there are, there are stories in the Bible. There's people in the Bible that if you're paying close attention, you think, wow, how, how, how is this happening? How is this person doing this? And the first example, the first guy that comes to mind is Judas. Like you couldn't get any closer within, you know, with physically speaking, you couldn't get any closer to Jesus. Judas was one of the inner 12. He spent every day with Jesus for years. And the things that he must have seen and the things that he must have heard, and he was never a Christian. He turned his back on Jesus the minute that it was uh, to his advantage. He was never in love with Jesus. He was, he was a trusted member of the disciples. They, they, he, he was in charge of the money. They trusted him with that. And then in the upper room discourse, when Jesus is saying, one of you is going to betray me tonight, it wasn't like everybody gave Judas the side eye, like, huh, yeah, you don't got to tell us twice. They all pointed the fingers at themselves and they said, Lord, it's not me, right? They didn't know it was Judas. It wasn't, it wasn't self-evident that it was him. And yet he, was, he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't saved. He wasn't a part of, of God's family. But he was as close in, in physical proximity to Jesus as you could get. And the other, and I, I, think that that, I think that that is a warning to us. I think that that should scare us. I think that that should cause us to pause and, and examine ourselves. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves and see if you are in the faith. I think that we should do that to see if we're not fooling ourselves into thinking that we're we're safe for eternity when maybe we're not. And the other the other example, and this is one that, that maybe it, it jumped out at me a lot more strongly than Judas did, and maybe it was because, you know, I always every, you all everybody knows the story of Judas, and so it you kind of get used to 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 his to his character. You get used to his story and. Um, and so you just kind of, it grows old. You know, it, it, the story of Judas loses some of its edge. But this, this, this next person jumped out at me and it really, it really rocked me internally. In Luke 8, there's a story of the man who is possessed with the legion of demons and Jesus pulls up on the shore with his disciples and it says that this demon-possessed man recognized who Jesus was. The demons inside of him acknowledged who Jesus was, and they acknowledged him properly. They identified him correctly, which was something that was not happening at that time. But the demons knew who he was. And it says that this man full of demons fell down at Jesus' feet, acknowledging who Jesus is, 
acknowledging that Jesus has power and didn't even deny Jesus's power, but actually asked for mercy and said that Jesus was telling the demons to leave. And they said, send us not into the abyss, send us into the pigs. So here you have demons acknowledging who Jesus is correctly, identifying him, falling prostrate before him, acknowledging his power and acknowledging their helplessness in his presence and then asking for mercy. And I was doing a sermon on this at Skate Church a couple years ago, and I read that story uh, anew, you know, kind of for the first time almost. And I thought, my word, this is a demon. This is a man full of demons, and he's behaving in a way that you could, you could say is really Christian. He's, he acknowledges who Jesus is. He falls at his feet. He asks for mercy. Like, this is Christian behavior, but, but it's a demon. It's a man possessed with demons. What is this about? How can you do that? How can you, how can you understand who Jesus is that much, acknowledge his power, ask him for mercy, and go away unregenerate, go away unsaved? And this is another one of these examples that I think should cause us to pause and ask ourselves and to make sure to test ourselves and to test maybe the people and teachers and preachers that we're listening to. What is it that I really believe about Jesus? Do I just assume the facts? Do I assume some volume of data about him and agree with it? But does that mean that I'm actually saved? What does it mean to actually confess? I think this is a hard question, but I think it's a good question. Because confessing doesn't mean that we abandon Jesus the minute that it benefits us, like Judas did. And confessing doesn't mean that we acknowledge the facts about his about who he is and then run away and do our own thing unregenerate unsaved unchanged leaving Jesus behind that is that is that that obviously cannot be what confession is so what what it means to actually confess, I think, is something that we need to really be able to define for ourselves and for anybody that we're, that, that we're trying to lead to the Lord. Authentic confession is a confession that does declare true biblical doctrine. Jesus is God come in the flesh, dying for the sake of sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. That is a confession. But then what do we do with it? We don't walk away. We don't turn our back on Jesus. And the reason that this troubles me and that I'm worried about it is because Jesus warns us that there are those who are deceived. And we see in the gospel that there are those who follow after Jesus for the wrong reasons. And then when things get tough and when things don't go as planned and when things don't go the way that individuals like, they abandon Jesus. And that's, that's a truth that we have to contend with. And that's something that we have to figure out. In Matthew 7, Jesus says flat out, not everyone who comes to me on that day and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord, Lord is, is, is indicating that there is an emotional response. There's an attachment here. And Jesus says, and, and people will come and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. 
In John 2, there's a group of people that says that believed in Jesus because they saw the miracles, but Jesus on his part did not give himself over to them because he knew what was in man. He knew that they were attracted to to the miracles. He knew that they were intrigued by that, but they weren't intrigued in repenting of their sins. They weren't intrigued by the idea of him being their propitiation. They just thought he was doing cool stuff. After he fed the 5,000 and went on back to the other side of, of the lake and people followed him there and said, Teacher, when did you come here? He said, Truly, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you had your fill of bread. They were following after Jesus, but they were following after Jesus for the wrong reasons. And in John chapter 6, in verse 66, it says that a group of his disciples, many, it says, many of these disciples that were following him had a, had a, had a hard time with the things that he, that he was saying and that he was teaching, and they just left. Is that confession? Is that an authentic confession of who Jesus is? These people that come across hard teachings or they see some sort of benefit to following Jesus and so they follow him for that. Because Jesus has things to say about that too. Whenever one of the rabbis came to him and said, Sir, I want to follow you, but first let me go do this or that. And Jesus said, Let the dead bury their own dead. And he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. And he said to one individual, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And what he was saying is, look, you can follow me, but you may not get out of it what you are hoping to get out of it. Jesus was on a different agenda and following him was costly. Following him is costly. And we are promised that throughout Scripture, we are promised that it's going to be hard to follow Jesus. And so a confession that is authentic and legitimate is a confession of the lips that is spurred on by the heart. People that authentically confess Jesus as Lord are a people that are willing to give them his entire life, to bear up their cross and to follow him daily, denying themselves whatever it is that he asks them to deny. Deny comfort, deny financial stability, deny relational stability. Jesus said, look, the people in your own household may become your very enemies. Mother against daughter and father against son and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. He said, don't think that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. And in John 16, he was telling his disciples that those people who, who send you up, that are going to put you to death, are going to actually think that they're offering sacrifice to God, that they're serving God, that they're doing this for, for some religious observance, and they're going to kill you. And all of the disciples had it bad. All of the disciples had it really bad, and they all were murdered, except John, who was boiled in oil and banished to Patmos, which is no picnic. And so are we willing to follow Jesus? Are we willing to confess Jesus and to give him our lives and to be obedient continually, even when it's really hard? Because we're promised that it's going to be hard. He tells us in John 16 that in this world you will have trouble, but to take heart, he has overcome the world. He promises us that storms are going to strike. He says that the, the people who hear my words and do them are like the people that built their house on the rock. 
and the storms came and the floods rose and they beat against the house, but the house stood strong because the foundation was sure. He says, those people who hear my words and don't practice them or don't do them are like the people that build their house on the sand and the storms came and the waters rose and they beat on the house and the house fell and great was its fall. One had a strong foundation. One did not have a strong foundation, but storms came on both houses. When we are born again believers in Jesus Christ, it does not make us impervious to the storms of life. We're going to fight in life. We're going, to face, we're going to face the death of loved ones. We're going to face disease. We're going to face relational situations that are unpleasant. We're going to face financial reversal and upheaval. Potentially, any one of these things could happen. And I'm, I'm passionate about this because I have been a Christian for some time now. And I, even, and I grew up in the church as a kid. And I went my own way for a long time because I thought for years that Christianity was, was basically a form of intellectual acquisition. That, that if I, like, like the demon-possessed man, if I acknowledged Jesus and said, okay, well, he is, he is God in the flesh and he is the boss and he does have power. Um, so we're done here. And I'm going to go about my life and I'm going to do my own autonomous thing. And I'm going to live in, in, I'm going to live in, in flagrant sin. And I'm going to continue to do so unchecked. But I said a prayer one time and I believed some, some information about who Jesus is. And so I should be good, right? I should be fine. And if there is a, if there is a, a school of thought or a philosophy that I have seen in the church more prevalent than any other, it is that. It's this, what some call easy believism. Is this, well, I said a prayer once when I was six and now I'm fine, even though I'm living like a, a, a practical atheist and I don't adhere to God's law and I don't care what Jesus says about my life. And I've seen people who seem to be following the Lord fervently and with integrity. And then all of a sudden we're in our thirties. We're in our mid-30s, we're in our late 30s, we're in our 40s, and we're single, or we're still stuck in some job that we don't like anymore, or we don't have the children that we were hoping that we would have, or the success that we were hoping that we were going to have. And so this Jesus thing, I've watched my friends, I've had conversations with my friends who have have read the Bible about sexual ethics and about marrying other believers and living in patience and 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 not not fretting whenever you watch those of the world be successful, but you seem to be stagnant because we, our inheritance is outside of this world. And so the, our existence in this world is not promised to be necessarily uh, all roses. But, and, I, and so I have these friends that are abandoning their faith and they're living, they're living in continuous sin because they're, they just want to. And I've had conversations with my friends that said, look, this is unbiblical. You're only going to hurt yourself and you're only going to hurt this person that you're with or you're only going to make this situation more complicated. And I've had friends look me straight in the face and say, I know that and I just don't care. This is what I want. And we have to go back a few pages in 1 John and, and, and wonder if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. 
And Jesus said that many will come to me on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? And he'll say, depart from me. That causes me concern. And so what I want to put forth from this message here in in 1 John 4 is, friends, if you're believers, we're told in Scripture by Paul to test ourselves, to see if we're in the faith. To see if we're believing about Jesus rightly. Are we living in continuous sin without repentance? We're going to be sinners. Christians sin. John covers that. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But we have to honestly confess. We have to honestly repent. And we have to turn. We have to have a change of heart. We have to have a change of life. And we have to live after after the, after the Jesus way. We have to live and, and, and walk in the same way which he walked, as John puts it. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the way that he walked. Are we checking ourselves that way? John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin. Are we watching our sin? Are we watching our lives? Are we watching the decisions that we make? And are we, repent- are we repenting of them? Or are we deciding that I'm going to go ahead and just take this one, this one, little, this one little hidden thing, this one little secret, and I'm just going to nurture it. I'm going to hold on to it. Because eventually you keep doing that and you have to ask yourself, which side of the line are we on here? The spirit of truth or the spirit of error? The spirit of God or the spirit of Antichrist? What is our confession? Do we simply just agree about the information of who Jesus is? Or have we given him our lives and said he is Lord, which means he is our Savior and he is our boss? And we are going to take up our cross and we're going to deny, deny ourselves. We're going to deny our desires. And if we're if that means that the Lord leads us into a life where we're single or we're, we're, we're unsuccessful in whatever business or venture that we are after, that we say, I count these things as, as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That is an authentic confession. We, we confess things that are, that are true doctrine. Jesus is God come in the flesh to save sinners that he died and that he rose again. And we have life in his name. And we give him our lives. We don't just simply acknowledge that and then walk away. We, 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 we repent and we let him be the arbiter. We let him be the king. We let him be the Lord. We give him ourselves. And it might be rough. It might be rough this side of eternity. It might be rough this side of heaven. But he did say, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And Peter says, listen, Listen, there is an inheritance that is waiting for us. It is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And Paul says, I don't even think that the the current sufferings are even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed. There is is a a point to the suffering. There is a, a renewal of life that is going to be in heaven. John the Baptist got his head cut off because some cute girl impressed a king who had him in jail. And we think, what a waste was that? That was so dumb. But that, that, 
that momentary affliction, that suffering, isn't worth comparing with the glory that is lying ahead, the glory that is waiting, that inheritance that is kept undefiled and unfading that is awaiting us. So we can endure this. Jesus came and he endured it to the end. And he's asking us to endure it and to not give up and to not turn our back on him when things don't go the way that we were hoping or the way that we were expecting. And I've been there. I have done that. And it took years for me to learn to, to, to learn different. But I have friends that have abandoned their faith because their life hasn't gone the way that they thought that it would. Like the disciples in John 6, something was said or something happened Something occurred that was hard, and so they said, this is a hard teaching, and they turned around and left. Or there was the 30 pieces of silver, and they chased after that, and they left Jesus behind. Test the spirits, friends. John goes on to say, little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. That is the false teachers. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So John is encouraging. John is uplifting. John is cheering on those who are following in the faith authentically. Those who are after Jesus for real. He says, little children, you are from God. You have done well. You did not listen to the false teachers. And so the false teachers have left the church and they've moved on. That's a victory. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is the Spirit of God who is in you than the Spirit of the Antichrist who is in the world. Friends, let's take a look at ourselves. I have to look at myself. Let's make sure that we're for real. Let's make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves. Let's make sure that we didn't sign up for some prosperity gospel where we, where we think that Jesus is the means to some end, some some sort of possession or wealth or reputation or or something else on in this terrestrial world something that we've deceived ourselves into believing because Jesus himself said the son of man has no place to lay his head even the foxes have their holes they have their dens and the birds have their nests And so whatever it is that we think we're, we're, we're going to get when we sign up with Jesus, we have to, we have to test ourselves. We have, to, we have to check and make sure that we don't think that Jesus is some Santa Claus or some genie and that by signing up with him, we're going to get something. We do get life eternal. We do get the Holy Spirit. We do get a relationship with God now. And those are, the, those are good things to want. We can pursue after those things. So let's make sure that we're legit. Let's make sure that we're following after Jesus authentically and truly. Let's put ourselves up against Scripture and let Scripture have its way with us. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit might test us and that the Lord might show us where we are, where we are lacking and where we are going astray. I want to be encouraging and I want to be firm. With John, I want to, to draw this line. Are we following after the spirit of truth or are we following after the spirit of error? Let us repent and let us worship because he is sufficient to save and his sacrifice was enough. And those who confess their sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. And that is a promise. 
My friends, we do have a great hope. My friends, we do have a great king. We have a great God. And let us make sure that we are following after him with integrity and not being tricked, not falling for some smokescreen. I love you all, and I hope to see you soon.